It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Lucas Jackson. I am the next gen pastor here at Bethel. So if you would uh, turn to Matthew chapter five with me um, and there's gonna be some leaders coming down the aisle um, and passing out Bibles if you don't have one. It's actually pretty important that you actually open your Bible and or scroll there. Um, I, I don't want you to think I'm making this up. So it's kind of important. So um, pull out your phone. Um, I'll be using the ESV translation here if that helps. Um, and eager to dive into the scripture here with you. Um, we've been in this series, True or False, and today I'm covering the topic, Christians are always happy. I've got an easy one. I'm grateful. Pastor Andy, hook me up. All right, it's cool. Christians are always happy is a topic for today. I, I believe that everyone to some extent wants to have a happy life. And, and however they interpret that, I think everybody wants that. Um, I have never met anyone who has ever wanted life to be the worst. Haven't met that yet. Never met someone who liked it when life was horrible. We run from these things. We don't, we don't run towards these things at all. Believer or non-believer alike, you're, you're not running towards having a horrible, difficult life. If you're a follower of Christ and you hold the word of God to the authority of your life, I think it's a worthy question for us to think of, like, what does the Bible say um, for us as believers on how to have a happy or blessed life. And maybe when you came to faith in Christ, you were thinking that all was going to be like perfect and no issues. It was going to fix your marriage or all the relationships that you had or fix your kids, whatever it may be. Your GPA would somehow increase because you're now a Christian. I've never met somebody where that actually happened either. But so maybe you had some presuppositions of maybe what the Christian life would be like when you came to faith in Christ and you thought you'd be happy all of the time and then you come to faith in Christ and realize that it much of the Christian life is amazing and joyful and awesome but you probably don't feel happy all of the time if you were to ask others what, what do you have to do in order to have a happy life now, you may get different answers if you ask a child or a teenager or somebody in college or somebody in their 50s or even beyond. You're going to get different answers to these questions. And my assumption is probably almost every answer to the question that you would receive would have nothing to do with the passage that we're probably going to talk about today. I've even had people ask me this question. I'm like, well, like, you know, you should probably hang out with your family. A lot, a, lot, a lot of practical stuff I've had answered to me when I've asked this question. But I've actually never had anybody quote Matthew 5 to me. That's what we're going to talk about today, the Beatitudes. I'm going to do my best to speak as quickly as possible to get through all 12 verses because they're all really important. I couldn't just cover half, and so I'm going to do the best I can. And even the time that I have, it will not be sufficient enough to expand on all 12 verses. So we're, um, we're going to dive right on in. Verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, those who are following him. This passage is directly towards Christians, but can apply to those of you who are not Christians. The crowds are there. We don't know how close they are. Um, Jesus and the disciples are on a mountainside. The crowds maybe a couple hundred yards away. We're not sure. We're not even really sure if they're within eyesight. I tend to think that they probably are. But Jesus takes the time to have the conversation with his disciples and those who have put their faith and trust in him and those who are living together in community. And so this is the scenario. You could even um, probably make some correlations to Moses and giving the law in the Old Testament to a correlation of here, Jesus in the New Testament giving law. 
Jesus is doing what he had done many times throughout the Gospels. He's doing some discipleship training where it takes the time to equip the disciples who were marked for leadership, or maybe even better yet, they were actually marked for discipleship. This would define our lives in every aspect, our work, our family, our church life, etc. Preparing each other to know Christ and Jesus often took time to do this with his disciples and often invited the crowd into that conversation. Where are you at on that journey? Sitting at the feet of Christ, learning, being trained. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are marked for discipleship, if you like it or not. And it just so happens that Bethel Church exists to be a grace-filled community known for making disciples who love God, love others, and to serve the world. That's why we exist, nothing else. We don't exist for any other reason, church. We simply exist to be known for making disciples, and we stole it from the scripture. I've got it on my sweatshirt, actually, if you need reference. That's who we are. That's why we exist, to be known for making disciples. Are you a part of that? This passage here is to describe how we should live, not how we always live as Christians. You want to be happy in this life and the next, you need to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I even want to encourage you throughout the whole message here. I want to encourage you, those of you who are followers of Jesus, to continue to pursue him and to make much of him. And those of you who are part of the crowd, need to leave the crowd and to follow Jesus. Verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them. I actually think this is quite interesting. Jesus himself, and in the scripture, takes a time where it says that Jesus opened his mouth. I'm like, well, yeah, duh. And he had a conversation with the disciples. And I'm fascinated by this because oftentimes I think we as Christians can assume that living a good life um, in front of the world will be sufficient enough for them to actually come to know Christ. And I don't think that's sufficient. Romans chapter 1 is... Uh, very clear that general revelation is sufficient enough to condemn a non-believer, but it is not sufficient enough to move a non-believer to have salvation. And so your life absolutely is important and critical and the things that you do and the way you represent yourself and your family and your church is important nonetheless. But somebody needs to have the word of God proclaimed to them. You can make an argument that you could text it to them too. I'm cool with that. But the word of God must be proclaimed. And Jesus himself, the ultimate example of the man to follow, takes the time to proclaim the truth of his father to those he loves the most. Fascinating. Leave the crowd and follow Jesus, church. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, so we're going to get into these, uh, the Beatitudes here. And, the, and my translation uses the word blessed. Um, yours may use the word happy, but, but the word here blessed, which is in reference to, to all these passages that we're about to dive into, um, it, could, it really means happy, fortunate, somebody who's blissful, often indicating somebody who is favored by God. Biblical happiness is a value that is not heretical. It, it's there. I think it's appropriate for you to say that uh, in some extent, the Lord wants you to be happy. But how we play that out, I think we'll, we'll see in scripture what that specifically means. And when we are blessed or happy in Christ, and that's what this passage is going to lay out for us, to help us understand what does it look like for a follower of Jesus to have a happy life. Now, none of these, if you were to ask me this question, I would have not put down any of these. If you were to ask me, Lucas, how do I have a blessed life or happy life? I wouldn't have said any of these things. And even as I read them, I, I've come to realize that my understanding and the depth of the gospel isn't sufficient enough because even as I read these, I, part of me just thinks like, 
that's it, Jesus? Like, this is what you got for me? And these are completely counterculture to what you may think or believe. And so let's dive in and let me explain each of these and to help us understand. To be blessed or to be happy is to understand and to live out what Jesus here describes as true faith. The first four Beatitudes describe the basic attitude of a follower of Jesus. The first Beatitude describes a present reality rather than a future restoration. To be poor means to do um, that you don't have the resources in order to accomplish something. And no one wants to be in this position. Nobody wants to be poor. But Jesus described how to have the kingdom of heaven is to be poor in spirit. What does this mean? Jesus was describing his disciples as unworthy sinners who depended on God's grace for salvation. Although the promise in Matthew 5, 4 through 9 are expressed in the future tense, the affirmation the kingdom of heaven is theirs is in the present tense. As you read this and you look at the tense, there are some of these blessings that you will receive in the future as a follower of Jesus and some you will receive in the present. So the present ones are, are, are verse 3 and then the last one and all the ones in the middle are future. You will receive the full manifestation of those blessings after death. Poor in spirit does not refer to poor in quality of faith, but to understand that we are bankrupt apart from Christ. You are bankrupt. Spiritual poverty is what he is talking about. The beginning of our understanding as followers of Jesus is that we are not able to be righteous on our own. We cannot live right on our own. We cannot do good on our own. We have no value in and of ourselves on our own other than the fact that we are created in the image of God. To try to be happier, to bless belongs to the person who understands they need God and they move towards participating in the kingdom of God. This person acknowledges their need for the source of salvation and it is not found um, in anyone but other than faith and trust in Christ. And I, I just wanna be very clear for those of you who are physically present or online, like I, this, I, I feel the need to clarify this as best I can. Um, uh, let me, so let me be very, very clear. Salvation alone is only found in God and it is through Christ. Now you can try to find it any other way you want, good luck. And I'll, I'll be there to help you and support you as best I can. And, but you will not find it. It will be futile. You will only find salvation in God through Jesus Christ. Period. You understand you are hopeless apart from the grace of God. Nothing else will bring you hope except Jesus. The rich young uh, man in Matthew 19 um, attempted this. He, he was unable to come to the truth and it cost him his life. And you can read that passage. Salvation by grace is what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of heaven is a gift to be received to those who understand their own poverty of spirit, to be poor in spirit. They beg God for salvation. If you are, are a believer today, you begged God for salvation and he bestowed it upon you as a free gift absent of anything that you could bring to the table. You have no need or no one to trust but God himself. So you wanna be happy in this life, be poor in spirit. Leave the crowd and follow Jesus, church. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. To mourn means you have great sorrow, most likely referring to the fact that you're mourning over your sins. 
This is godly sorrow that leads someone to repent and to put their faith and trust in Christ. In terms of salvation and salvation that comes without regret, it is sorrow that leads to repentance. Second Corinthians 7.10 tells us for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The person who recognizes their sin and spiritual bankruptcy can only respond with sorrow. Has nothing to do with feeling bad. It refers to the condition of the human heart where we are truly sorrowful for our spiritual bankruptcy and the grace of God begins to change you. 100% God doing the work. It is through God's grace that we experience great joy and the comfort of the forgiveness he offers. What else can we call this other than happiness or great joy? So if you want to be happy in this life, church, mourn over your sins and you will be comforted. Leave the crowd and follow Jesus. Verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meek or gentle, this is strength under control. This isn't like a, you know, like that guy is super physically weak. That kind of, that's not what he's talking about, all right? He's not talking about that at all. It is the opposite of being out of control. It is not a person who is physically weak, but a person who is controlled and mature, who comes, and this actually comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in and of ourselves. It's like a horse, which are, I don't know if you like ride horse, they're super fun and awesome, but when that mug is mad and mean, the only thing you experience is pain and suffering and fear. So it's all good until something goes bad and then look out. And none of us want to be around a person like that. This person is humble. They're not self-willed or defiant. This person begins to respond humbly to Christ. Instead of pulling your life up by your bootstraps, you depend upon the Lord for all that you have. The one who is training them is Christ himself and he's training us, church. The inheritance of the earth here looks towards a reward in the coming reign when Christ comes back. And this is actually a reference to Psalm 37, verse 11, which states, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. In the context of that passage, which is important, the meek shall inherit the earth, which just foretells the destruction of the evildoers that those who hope in God will live in peace. And that's the context. Those who follow God have hope and peace and those who don't are evildoers and will have destruction. So you wanna be happy in this life, church? Respond humbly to your trainer. Leave the crowd, follow Jesus. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness so they, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst are metaphors for a disciple's fervent desire for righteousness to live like God, to live in such a way that honors God. The words they will be filled are, uh, excuse me, the words here are actually in the passive tense, indicating that the righteous is not something disciples can achieve by their own efforts. This is really important for you to understand as a Christian. You do not receive this, uh, this uh, benefit or um, this understanding or your position in Christ in and of yourself. This is bestowed upon, it's, it's a gift, it's grace of God. You don't somehow do enough to earn this or you don't stop sinning in such a way that somehow the Lord then bestows this upon you. This is a gift given, never earned. God alone imparts the righteousness for which disciples hunger and thirst. You will never wake up one day and think, you know, I think I need God. 
The only way that that will ever happen is the spirit of God working in you. So it's God himself opening up your heart to what you will then say, you know what, God, you're right. I'm in agreement with you. You will never come to that realization on your own. It's a gift that you can't earn. Jesus again clarifies that the realm of which he is speaking is the spiritual realm, not the physical realm. Happiness comes from the assurance that all righteousness will someday be fulfilled. The believer will personally become perfected, never to sin again, and the kingdom will be poured out on all unrighteousness. This person seeks to understand God by God's standard, not her own personal standard. This person is no longer looking for something to satisfy them. They have found it. You as a believer have found it. Jesus has found you. Your identity is now grounded in the truth of the gospel and you have full access to all the benefits of God. Happy is the person who no longer wonders what it looks like to have a right relationship with God. And I think that's what, when we look at the Old Testament, I think we can sometimes look at that man like, that's, like a, that's a burden. Like, man, that mug is putting all these things on us. We got to do. I think the nation of Israel would have been like, you know what? I think this is awesome. We now no longer have to try to figure out what God demands of us. We have full clarity. And that's what God does for us in Christ. You no longer have to look for that which will satisfy you. You have found it, believer. So if you want to be happy in this life, hunger and thirst for righteousness, leave the crowd and follow Jesus. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And the next three verses describe some activity of a follower of Jesus here. Merciful or being generous, forgiving others, and having compassion. To be others-oriented. A person who shows compassion or forgiveness, especially towards someone who has offended them. What we have received in such abundance, we must display abundantly, which is why the next section of this passage talks about how to be salt and light in the world. Matthew 6 verses 14 through 15 is very clear for us. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So by your inability to forgive other people may be an understanding that you're not a genuine follower of Christ. I'm not saying it doesn't mean you are, but it but you might not be if there is zero desire within you to bestow forgiveness on others. So if you want to be happy in this life, learn to forgive others. Leave the crowd, follow Jesus. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Pure or clean, a simple but helpful way of looking at the word is to realize that it implies the absence of filth or impurity. It implies a singleness of purpose without distraction, similar to holiness, to be, to be set apart by God, to be used by God for his glory. A person who has a heart that is undivided, pure of heart, is not manufactured by the believer. It is bestowed upon us and granted to us by God himself, to those who mourn their spiritual bankruptcy and those who seek his righteousness will be pure. Righteousness can be faked. And if you take the time to study all of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, you will realize that Jesus hammers the Pharisees because they were like, 
I'm a Christian because of my last name. Like, I, I, hey, I'm, 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 I'm a part of the Jewish heritage. I'm already in the family. And Jesus is like, no, you ain't. But I do all these things. And Jesus is like, get away from me. I never knew you. So righteousness can at times be faked, which could mean that you could come to church for decades and yet never be a follower of Jesus. You could come and sit and hear the gospel proclaimed and yet never be a follower of Jesus. That is 100% possible. So my, I don't ever want to assume that just because you're physically here means that your relationship with the Lord is thriving. Just because you're physically here does not necessarily mean that you are walking with the Lord. Just because you do great things in the name of the Lord does not mean that you're automatically a follower of Jesus. Those can be evidence of your faith. But in and of, the, of themselves, you could look pretty good and never be a follower of Jesus. When the king grants purity of heart, he gives not only judicial purity, but also the actual removal of corruption and impurity of our hearts. This comes about through the empowerment of the believer to grow into holiness and out of impurities. This is bestowed on us by God, this desire to get after and to pursue God. Jesus may have had a dual meaning behind the phrase to see God in this passage. A couple things we can look at. First, a pure heart is unhindered in its ability to understand the heart and person of God in this life and on earth. In this sense, it is, excuse me, is better able to see God. Moreover, only the pure or those who are forgiven by God are able to enter heaven and to enjoy the presence of God for eternity. Nonetheless, this person will see God. You want to be happy in this life? Have a pure heart. Leave the crown, follow Jesus. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. The promise that peacemakers will be called sons of God probably means that Jesus' authentic disciples emulate God by undertaking the ministry of reconciliation, bringing others to faith in Christ. Thus a final judgment they shall be accepted as sons and daughters of God. That's going to be a pretty sick day. And as with the mercifulness that we see in verse 7, peacemakers focus on interpersonal relationships. Those who work for wholeness and harmony rather than strife and discord in all aspects of life and who reconcile others to God and each other will be called sons of God. Peace is first and foundationally internal and spiritual. It's not primarily physical, military, or political. Peace for the nations flows from peace in the hearts of individuals, which comes from having a relationship with God through Christ. Peacemakers are those who love others well. Now, I don't think I'm reading into the text as a possible interpretation of this and somewhat biased maybe from the things that have happened this past week, but I think of police officers in this case. Not, not every police officer is a believer, but yet police officers do all they can to bring peace and, and to care for other people at their own expense. Teachers, first, first, I think of all kinds of people in this category. People who, even non-believers, who do all they can to bring peace for other people, for the benefit, a glimpse, as God pulling back the curtain and a glimpse into heaven. So if you want to be happy in this life, be a peacemaker. Leave the crowd, follow Jesus. 
Now, verses 10 through 12 here, I'm going to address in kind of a package deal here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That would not be on the list, church. That wouldn't be on my list, but it's on Jesus' list. So his list is, is a little bit more important than your list, okay? Or my list. Blessed are you, verse 11, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Now, I usually don't in my own life feel happy when these things happen. I don't even feel happy when it's my fault and these things happen to me. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of my fault that it happened. Like, yeah, that that makes sense. I did that, therefore. Jesus concludes the Beatitudes with such a life that he just described such a life will bring persecution. Now, this is a guaranteed promise, church. For those of you who are followers of Jesus and to pursue in God, this is a promise of God that if you live for Christ and make much of his name. And now just so you know, kids, this applies to you. You little chitlins running around. All right, you little ones. This applies to you. You middle schoolers, this applies to you. High school applies to you. College, definitely you. All right, young, young, whatever age you are, whatever phase of life that you're in, if you're a follower of Jesus, this applies to you. There's not an age requirement on any of these. These begin at salvation. Yet every one of these beatitudes is prefaced with the word blessed. Which is really a shout of joy. Oh, the happiness. Such a life is the secret of true happiness. No matter how difficult the way may be, if you're going to follow and live for Jesus, then you will be hated by the world. Don't be surprised, church. Don't be surprised, students. Blessed are those who are persecuted. The persecution, however, must be a result of righteous living, not your sinful actions. Just to clarify here. This is a blessing for those who are pursuing Christ, making much of his name and and getting after it. And then they are persecuted for living for God. If you mess up in sin and then there's repercussions, that's not what this is saying. This is a blessing for those who are pursuing Christ, making much of his name. And in return, because of their desire to live for the Lord, they're made fun of. I mean, students, our students experience this like every day. I could name category after category of ways that they experience this. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. And Jesus not only... He also went beyond the formula of blessed are to say rejoice and be glad. To rejoice, and, which is all over the scripture. I wish I had time to address all the passages that uh, are up, up, up about this particular topic. But I've got a few thoughts here. So worship band, if you want to go ahead and come on up. I want to wrap up our time here. Um, based off Matthew 5, just this one passage. I mean, we could have addressed lots of passages, but based off this one passage... Do you believe that Christians are always happy? I would agree. They're not. I'm not always happy. 
out of the verses that we just looked at, how many of you say happy is the person or blessed is the person who has blank, has this stuff? None of them. None of them are attached to a physical thing that you have. Now, I'm not saying that having some physical, you're, sure, the, the, the Lord is gracious. But when we talk about the blessings that the Lord has given us, it's not stuff. It's not what you drive, what you live in, or if you have a second lake, a lake house. It, no, that is not what the Lord is talking about. Every single one of these blessings is how you as a Christian are defined by God through Christ. None of them have anything to do with stuff. They all have to do with your position as a follower of Jesus. How foolish we would be to expect the greatest way the Lord could bless his people is to give us stuff. And how foolish we would be to spend our lives seeking that which will rust and moss will destroy. Every one of these verses points to our position as a follower of Christ and the benefits we receive here and in the future. I'm not going to tell you that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus that you will be happy all the time. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to tell you that. I'd actually tell the opposite. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's probably going to get worse. Similar to how Paul in Corinthians says, if you get married, life is a lot harder for you. Sorry, single people. But if you get married, life is harder. Now, it's so joyful and awesome and amazing. I'm just telling you, it's going to get harder. So um, take that as you will. Generations of people have come before us. And, and they have tried and sought and failed every time to find happiness outside of a relationship with Christ. Christians, can I remind you that it was Jesus who saved you and it was him who will be the one who sustains you. Faith in Christ is not something you need at the very beginning of your walk with the Lord. It is something that you need every day. We would be foolish just to assume that, that the gospel of Christ would be just sufficient enough just to get us in and that's it. You do not need to come to faith in Jesus and then seek after other things to find joy and happiness in your life. I feel the need to say this again. You do not need to come to Jesus and then to seek other things for enjoyment and happiness in life. You need Jesus. The one who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, the one who lived a perfect life without sin, who died, who rose again and showed that he has power over death itself and who reigns over all. That is who you need. It is this Jesus who will bring about in you a life of happiness that will last for eternity. So last thought and I'll be done. I'm intrigued by the crowds back in verse one, how they were, this, the passage does not tell us how close they were, but I can't help but think um, church, this passage was for you as believers, but I can't help but think as Jesus is proclaiming this truth and, and teaching these beatitudes to the disciples, could they see off in the distance that crowd? Now, I don't know how many were, I don't know how many were there. It didn't really matter. But could they, could they see the crowd of people that were by them? And I know for me as a Christian, I often think to myself, it's more about me and my walk with the Lord, which, which is important and your walk with the Lord is important. 
But yet, church, I want to I encourage us to never lose sight of the loss, the crowd around us that we need to drag out of hell into heaven with us. The Pharisees secluded themselves. And I pray that we as a church will be known for making disciples, which is gonna, means it's going to be a little messy. It means we're going to have to be in community. It means that we're going to have to learn how to get along most of the time, you know. We're going we're gonna to get on each other's nerves. And so church, as you continue to pursue Christ in a life of happiness, I pray that you will not lose sight of the crowd around you, those who don't know Jesus and how God wants to use you, the gospel that you proclaim in you to save them. And so if you're here today and if you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray the spirit of God would convict you like crazy. And I pray that the Spirit of God would, would move you to respond in faith, to put your faith and trust in Christ. And don't worry about cleaning up your life. Jesus will take care of that. So let me pray for us. God, thanks for um, our day. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for your word. And um, Lord, we're nothing without you. We, we are like trash. The only reason we have value, significance, earthly uh, ability to make much of your name and, and even for eternity is because of our relationship with you. May we as a church never forget that we are who we are because of what you have graciously bestowed upon us as Christians. And may we never forget the crowd around us, Lord, that you want to use us to drag them out of hell and to make much of your name so Matthew 5 can apply to them as well. And so, God, as we go about serving you this week, may we proclaim your truth. May we live for you. May we have a happy life that is grounded in Scripture and use us to be a light for the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.